with God all things are possible. Matthew 17. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Let's pray. Almighty God, I ask that you would, by your Spirit, cause us to not just hear your word, but to listen to you. I pray that as you speak through Pastor Chris, that our hearts would be inclined to your word. I thank you for your spirit that teaches us. I pray, God, that even as we are in this room receiving your word, that we would be mindful of your truth, that we would be given a greater understanding of who you are and that the love that you have blessed us with in revealing yourself Jesus to us would take root in us that we would be a light unto this world so I pray God give us listening ears this morning and we ask this in Jesus name Amen. Well, Happy New Year, church. And New Year is an interesting time, isn't it? It's, I don't know why, but it almost feels like tomorrow is like a new chance at life. It's like a, you have hope, right? Tomorrow, 2024, like that's way past like back to the future times and, and all those sort of things, right? Like this is like a whole new year. We got to remember to that year and all of a sudden it, there's something about it that gives like a new hope. So let me ask you this question. Do you think that revival is possible in 2024? So where does it begin? Where does it begin, right? It begins right here. In my heart, am I having revival and am I on fire for the Lord that everyone that I run around, they just catch it. On the way by, they just like catch it, right? There's just something about it that it has to start with me. It has to start with us. If we have the joy of the Lord and we just have this heart of thankfulness that we, as we go into the world, right, then other people are going to be like, hey, why, why are you having so much joy? Well, let me tell you about the source of that joy. 
and it's my relationship with Jesus Christ. Like that, that's, that's where it all begins, right? And, so, and it starts with me thinking back to, think about 2023, Right? The last day, right? We get to go out on a bang, right? We're singing some worship. We're getting after it. Awesome this morning. When you think back on 2023, you can think of that year really however you want to. You could think of that year um, with sorrow of things that have been lost. We've all lost things and someone and stuff this year. You could look back at this year with thankfulness and celebrate the things that have happened this year. I've got a chance to go to Israel and walk in the holy ground, holy ground and holy land, right? Amazing. Walking barefoot through the Temple Mount. Just love it, right? Or maybe, I don't know if this is a, a, a happy or a sorrow giving my daughter away in marriage. So it's a beautiful thing, an amazing guy, but then she's not there at Christmas. She's with him. Oh. So yeah, I can either say like, wow, what an amazing guy that loves my daughter so well. David is awesome, right? Or I could choose to see it through sorrow. See, our lens by which our perspective that we look at life can change the way that we live and walk and how much we have joy. So as we get into this um, story today of this transfiguration, Jesus is going to like take away the veil for a moment. He's going to give these disciples a glimpse of his glory. We're going to kind of get a, a secondhand glimpse of it today. Then how do we apply it to our life? Because remember, when Moses came down from the mountain, his face was shining. Do you remember that story back in Exodus? So when we go out of this place, we got to be shining. We got to be the light. All right, so let's jump in. We're going to jump in a little earlier than Paul read for us because we got to get some perspective. Last week we we're doing sermon bingo and it just got off the rails. So we got to get back on the train. And Matthew, we just got finished with the good confession. Right, Caesarea Philippi, this crazy city of sin, worshiping the god Pan, pandemonium, panic, horrible things happening. The gates of hell will not prevail against Christ because Peter says, you are the Christ. Made the good confession. You know, we'll forget what happened after that where he starts rebuking Jesus. You know, all that kind of stuff. But he made the good confession. So we pick up towards the end of verse 24, and here's what it says. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And in our mindset today, we'd be like, yes, 2024, let's do this, right? And in the back of our mind, like Galatians 2.20 might echo, right? I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That when you have a relationship with Christ, the old you is gone. You're a new creation in him. We're like, yes, let's do it. Pick up our cross and follow him. What does that look like in 2024 for us to pick up our cross and follow him? Does it mean that we're like, for joy set before us, ready to endure suffering? What, what are we ready to do when we pick up the cross? You know, New Year's resolution. Anybody a New Year's resolution person out there? I, I'm too old. I've, I've stopped. I've failed. I'm on, I'm 52 now. I've failed 52 times, right, at doing this New, Re New Year's resolution. But maybe um, less of the me from 2023 and more of the Lord in 2024. Good bumper sticker, right? Kind of have that in there. I, less of me in a lot of ways, like a little bit less here, maybe off the side, or, or less of my attitude, my maybe critical spirit, or my unkind, maybe less of that and more of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, more of those things, right? So we think, okay, pick up the cross means less of me, more of him, more of following him wherever it might lead us, right? So maybe that's a resolution, maybe that's an idea, but if you think of the disciples, they're standing here on the other side of the cross, 
And they're like, pick up your cross. We haven't got there yet. What, you want us to pick up us? What? What's, they had some confusion. Because remember, they didn't want to understand that Jesus was going on a journey to Jerusalem. He was going on a journey to die, to set us free from sin and death. He is on this journey. He's telling them, hey, pick up the cross and follow me. I don't, I don't think they understood because he explains it even more. He says, for whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? That someday when we're standing before God, he's not going to want to know our bank account. He'd be like, God, but I have a boat. Shouldn't I get to go into heaven? He's like, what do you say about Jesus? What do you say about my son? Have you surrendered your life to him? Have you made him Lord of your life? Right? So he's saying, hey, what does it matter if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Man, what if we spent 2024 getting our soul right? Because I don't know about you, but there's some things in my soul that I don't want to be there. There's some wills and wants, some desires that probably don't need to be there that I need to give that to the Lord and let him renew us, give us a, a new heart, a heart of flesh, right? And so he's telling them this, these things, and he says in verse 27, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each one according to what he has done. Woo! Excitement. Jesus is going to return. So how we live our life matters how we live for him. And then verse 28. So this is where it kind of transitions, right? There's this motivational, like, take up your cross daily and follow me. But then the next two verses, like, the world out there is going to try to throw these back in your face, right? We do this often when we're saying, these are things that people would say are contradictions in the Bible, and they try to throw them at us, right? And we, we know how to dodge and weave, right? We now know something. We're going to talk about some of the answers to these things because I, I, when I look at these things, I'm like, no, bring them up. That's awesome, right? Look what it says in verse 28. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So Jesus is saying, some of you are not going to taste death until you see the Son of Man in the kingdom of God. Okay, so, so what does that mean? Right? There's four options. Right? There's four options to choose between. I gave them a little rating. Okay? The first one is, some people say, well, there's one of the disciples that's still alive. He's walking the earth today. Maybe John the Beloved. Remember at the end of the book of John, he's like, what if I wanted him to, to stay until the coming of the king? So maybe John the Baptist. Every famous John in the entire history since then is John the Baptist or John the Beloved or one of those Johns. No, that's unlikely, right? It's unlike that one of the disciples is still walking the earth today, right? So couldn't be that, right? Maybe it's talking about 70 A.D., Remember in 70 AD, this huge event happened where Titus came in and he crushed Jerusalem. This huge siege. They tore down the temple. They threw the rocks off the side. In fact, you can visit them today where they've excavated the original temple stones that were there that were thrown over in 70 AD. But that's not really ushering in the kingdom of God. So that's probably unlikely, right? Um, answer, answer C, right, is maybe Pentecost, this incredible event where the Holy Spirit fell upon people, this incredible thing where the Holy Spirit is now accessible to all of mankind. What, what a game changer. Maybe that was the kingdom of God. I mean, that, that's rated P for possible, but it's a little problematic. The, the sum, there's a lot of disciples left at this time. There's some other implications of that that may not work so well. So most likely, 
Um, the one that's most believable is that what Matthew is talking about when he's writing down is that the transfiguration, what the story that Paul read for us, that this is the coming of the kingdom of God to some of the disciples. How do we know that? There's two, two sort of proofs or sort of you know, ways that we can kind of tell that. The first one is that we see from not only Matthew's account, but from the other two accounts, Mark's and Luke's, that it's more about seeing the kingdom than the coming of the kingdom. This word for coming should be the word appearing in his kingdom. Let's look at it like Luke um, chapter 9. Right? When we look at Luke chapter 9, it talks about how um, the seeing of the kingdom, right? It says, they will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. You look at Mark's account in Mark chapter 9. In fact, Mark 9 is interesting because Mark separates this encounter and verse 28 into a new category, a new chapter sort of is started by it. That's why the, the translators figured it out. Um, and so it says, he said to them, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. So some people are saying this most likely is the kind of foretaste of what's going to happen here in the transfiguration, which is the very next verse in the story, right? So you got four options. you got to kind of pick which of those four options fits best in your way of thinking, most likely, what starts happening in chapter 17. So here's what it says in 17, verse 1, and we're going to take this verse really slow because we dive in. It says, after six days, Jesus took with them Peter, James, and John and led them up to a high mountain. Now, after six days, let's pause there, okay? Now, what's interesting about this phrase, after six days, is that it appears exactly the same in the book of Mark, but Luke says it differently. Look how Luke says it. Luke says this, now, after eight days, these saying, after these sayings, he took with him Peter, James, and John. See, the Bible's got a contradiction in it. They said six days. They said eight, Luke says eight days. See, if the Bible can't even get its numbers straight, how can it be true about Jesus? That's what the world out there is going to say to you. What do you say to that? Well, are you going to be like, uh, uh, I mean, we're going to give you that answer today. Because there's a really easy answer, I think, to, to understand why there's two different numbers that are happening in these verses. But the world out there is hostile towards the message of Christ. So be ready for it, right? Here's how you can be ready for it, all right? We have two of them, right? Matthew and Mark, right? They say six days. Right? And then Luke says, let me read it again, now about eight days after these sayings. So this word about is sort of a, a rounding sort of thing, isn't it? It's not a specific term. For example, we had a chance to go visit Tara's parents down in Katy. And so we got back last night about 6 p.m. That, that would be a statement, right? We got back six, about 6 p.m., right? If Tara comes in the door, you're like, hey, Chris, what time did y'all get home? Oh, 5.56. Liar! Am I a liar? Or is the about cover that range? So Luke is not trying to be that specific, but actually, ironically, he is probably more specific in the way that we think about things than in the way that the Jewish people think about things. Because the real problem here is that Matthew and Mark are Jewish, and Luke is a Gentile. He's Greek. And they have two different ways of thinking about days. Let me give you an example. Um, so when you think about the day starting, you, what time does the day start for you? Noon? No, I'm just kidding. Um, y'all are one in the middle service, right? It starts in the morning, right? When we talk about a day starting, we talk about it starting in the morning. For example, did you see the sunset this morning? Whew, it was amazing, right? It, it was, I have to ask you because Nick's service, none of them saw the sunset, sunrise this morning. All right, maybe one of my resolutions should be see more sunrises. 
in 2024. It was amazing. There's all of these colors, and God's like painting like a paintbrush. It was just whew, amazing this morning, right? So 6 a.m. is sort of the start of our day. When the sun comes up, our day gets started, and it's a 24-hour period. We think in 24-hour blocks, but that's not the way the Jewish people think. Remember back in Genesis chapter 1, there was evening and morning the first day. There's evening and morning the second day. So in a Jewish calendar, a Jewish way of thinking, 6 p.m. is the start of the day. And then it travels through the next day to 6 p.m. All right, so they have a different way of numbering those things, the way of thinking about it. So, for example, it says, Luke says, at about, now about eight days after these sayings, what sayings? The good confession, the teaching about take up your cross and follow me. After that, they left to go on this journey to this mountain experience. That would have been day one for Luke, but not in a Jewish mindset, right? That doesn't even count for a day. The day doesn't start until the next, at 6 p.m., so that doesn't count. Then you have the six Jewish days that are going through there, right? And then when they get there and the transfiguration happens, that's the last day. The Jewish people would not count the event that happened as part of their travel. That's an event that happened, and so we have a day at the beginning, a day at the end that, the, that we as a Greek thinkers would count as part of their travel, about eight 24-hour periods. But in a Jewish way of thinking, they wouldn't think that way. They have a different way of thinking about time and different way of thinking about the days. And those are things that we don't understand because we're not in the context and the culture. But we don't have to be fooled. When the world out there wants to point out things to us, most of the time when we look back, we're like, oh, if we were in that culture, we would have understood the way that these things work, right? So the six days and this eight days, very easily understood by the different cultures that are being represented there. Then it says this, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother. So he took the three closest to him. We've noticed this happening with Jesus several times, haven't we? That he pulls these three guys to be a little closer to him, right? They get, get a different glimpse of things than the others, right? Which is interesting because these three then have three sets of three that they're pouring into Beyond that, this is kind of a model of discipleship that we see, right? He pulls them aside. Why did he pull three of them to come see this thing? Well, throughout the Bible, it's been established that in order for something to be proven true, for the testimony to be true, there has to be two or three witnesses. Started in Deuteronomy chapter 19, where it talks about in, in a court, there has to be the testimony of two or three witnesses. And we're going to see it in the next chapter. Chapter 18, next week we're talking about church discipline and what that looks like in a church setting, even in 2024. See, it's hard to even remember saying that. Right? What's that look like? Well, don't you take two or three witnesses with someone to talk to them about their issues, right? We even see it in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, where Paul is even saying, hey, remember, there's got to be two or three witnesses. So you have different authors of different time periods all saying you have to have two or three witnesses. So Jesus brings with him... Three witnesses, three people to discuss, did we really see this thing? Did we really see Jesus, like, step out of the flesh and become all shiny? Did, did you see that? Yeah, I saw that. That This is meant to be a strengthening of the message. And then it says, and he led them up to a high mountain by themselves. So mountains are very important in Jewish culture, right? We have Mount Moriah, which is where Jerusalem was. It was the same place that... Um, Abraham took his son Isaac to sacrifice him. It's exactly the same place where Jesus was going to go as the Lamb of God to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. We have places like Mount Sinai where the law came in, right? Mountains were very important. So there's two mountains that this transfiguration could have happened on. We don't know which one. 
Right, the first one is Mount Tabor, right? It's sort of southwest of the Sea of Galilee. Here's a picture of Mount Tabor, all right? This is what Mount Tabor looks like. Some people would think that this was the mount by which the transfiguration happened, and this is probably the most popular place people would say that it happened, right? I don't particularly think this is where it is, but that's just Chris Smith, right? There's a lot of people smarter than me that say it was Mount Tabor, so we don't know exactly which one it is. Not particularly important, just kind of interesting to study and look at. I actually think it was in Mount Hermon, right? Mount Hermon is a much higher peak than this one, 9,200 and something feet tall, right? Mount Hermon, at the base of Mount Hermon is Caesarea Philippi. That's where our story just happened, right? With the gates of hell. We're not prevail against it. So I think it might have been Mount Hermon. But regardless, one of these two mountains was the place that the transfiguration happened. Here's what we do know. That most likely this mountain that Jesus takes him to is the same mountain mentioned in Matthew chapter 4. Do you remember what happened in Matthew chapter 4? Jesus was being tempted. And do you remember the temptation? Turn these stones into bread. Oh, fulfill scripture. Go to the pinnacle. Throw yourself down. The angels will catch you. What was the last temptation that the enemy threw in Jesus' face? He took him to a very high mountain. He looked over the, the nations of the world and said, Hey, I will give up my claim to them if you'll bow down and worship me. And Jesus is like, huh, get out of here, Satan. It's over, done. We're, we're not doing this anymore, right? You shall only worship your God, and him only shall you serve. There's only one person that deserves worship, and that's him. Not a person, not, a, not the enemy, right? Only one, and that's Yahweh, the God of all, all creation, right? And so this mountain where Jesus was taken to be tempted is most likely the same mountain that this transfiguration is going to happen on, right? So verse 2. It says, and when he transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. So this word transfigured is the word metamorphosis, right? It's the same word for that. So he, he changed forms, right? Now, he didn't change into a butterfly, okay? Not that kind of metamorphosis, right? But he changed into something different, right? So it's like Jesus stepped out of the flesh into his glory, and all of a sudden his clothes shone like the sun. He was producing light. The glory of the Lord was around him, right? And it, it reminds you of some of these Old Testament stories that we've seen um, where they're describing the God of the heaven. Like, in fact, let's go back to Daniel chapter 7. Listen to this description and picture this in your mind. If you're on the mountain, imagine yourself walking up the mountain, right? And you're getting up there, right? And you're hiking it up there. And you're at the top of the mountain with Jesus. And then, right, he just turns into light. See, I mean, can you imagine that? BJ, he's right in the middle. He's just sitting in the church service. All of a sudden, right, light shows up. Right? I mean, you're picturing that this is not what they were expecting. They, they know that he is the son of man, but now they're getting to see him in all of his glory. And it has echoes back to these prophets. Look at verse 9 in chapter 7. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before them. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. Woo! Right? Daniel is seeing this vision, and here he is. The Ancient of Days, clothes white as snow. The fire all around him, right? Look back at Ezekiel, 
chapter 1, Ezekiel has a throne room vision. It says, and above the expanse, this is chapter 1, verse 26, their heads and above their heads there was like likeness of a throne, an appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist I saw as it was gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it was the appearance of fire. And there was brightness all around him. Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. That the glory of the Lord showed up. Right? This brightness, white as snow, this is the glory of the Lord. So Jesus, he's a man, but he's also fully God. Right? And so can you imagine these apostles who've walked with Jesus, they, they've seen him in all these ways, and now they get to see his glory. Whew, what a day of rejoicing that would be. Are we excited about seeing Jesus in all of his glory? Him returning in the middle of the sky, pulling back the sky like a scroll and showing up? Amen, that's what we're excited about, right? But not only that, but these prophets, Moses and Elijah, that are going to show up in a second, right? They get to see Jesus as they haven't seen him before. They begin to see him in his glory. So he was fully God and fully man all together in this picture, right? Let's go back to it. Because here's what these guys show up. And behold, there appeared with them Moses and Elijah talking with him. So Moses and Elijah, why Moses and Elijah, right? That's the first question that, would, that popped into my head this week. Why Moses, why Elijah? Well, there's two couple different levels of it. Number one, Moses represents the law, right? So we know that Moses represents the law, and Elijah represents the prophets, right? So we have the, the law and the prophets both giving testimony to Jesus in his glory, right? So that's, that's one of the ways that we could picture it. But what is also interesting is that Moses and Elijah both had a lot of similarities, that these two guys had a lot of things that were in common. Look at this list that we put up on the screen for you, right? Both went to Mount Sinai. Moses, where he got the law, the, the Ten Commandments. Elijah, when he ran from Jezebel, he ran into a cave on Mount Sinai. And both of them got to see or experience God. Remember, Moses got to see his back because if he saw all of his glory, he would surely die. Elijah got to hear him in that still, small voice. He wasn't in the fire. He wasn't in the earthquake, right? He was in that still, small voice, right? Both of them got a glimpse of God, but they didn't get to see him in all of his glory because they wouldn't be able to handle it. Both of these men had unusual exits from the world, right? Remember Elijah with a chariot of fire was taken up into heaven, right? And then Moses, he died on the mountain. God killed him on the mountain because he knew that the Israelite people would take his bones and begin to worship him. In fact, you see the Pharisees all the time saying, we are children of Moses, They saw him as this figure that was greater than life. They put him on a pedestal even above Jesus, God in the flesh. So we see these similarities, but what is also interesting is both of them were expected to come back in some form. Remember, we were talking about one like Moses, a prophet like Moses was to come. But also Elijah, one like Elijah was going to come. In fact, that question is going to come up in just a second. But before we do, don't you wish you could be in on this conversation? Right? Jesus, all of his glory, right? Moses, right? 
Elijah, shoom, they start having a conversation. You want to listen in. Like, what were they talking about? What, what, what was the, the conversation like? And, and we don't find out about that conversation in Matthew, but a little bit in Luke. If you look at Luke chapter 9, he gives a little glimpse into their conversation. Look at verse 30. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory. So they appeared in glory as well. And spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, what's interesting, this word for departure is the Greek word for exodus. So what they did was Moses and Elijah are coming to talk to Jesus about his exodus to Jerusalem. So he's going to set up a kingdom where we could go into the promised land if we put our faith in him. If we make him Lord of our life, we now get access to heaven, right? But just as the spies ran away, Jesus is like, no, no, no. I'm going to walk through this for the joy set before me endure the cross. Right? The spies, they turned. Jesus remained faithful, right? And so he's talking about this exodus. So it made me start thinking about what if we were to look back at Jesus' journey heading towards Jerusalem as an exodus? What sort of things happened? What sort of similarities do we have? Now, this would be a whole other sermon. But we see Jesus providing bread for them. Just as Moses bread from heaven. We have the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000. We have these obvious, um, the people are grumbling. Remember the Pharisees, Sadducees, the scribes grumbling against Jesus as the leader, just as they grumbled against Moses. We see all these similarities between Jesus's journey and Moses in the Exodus, right? That's why we did Exodus before we did this book of Matthew. But look what it says. This happens next is even more kind of um, the disciples are seeing the same thing. Right? Look what it says next. Um, and Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, this word for tents is tabernacles. So I'll make three tabernacles for you so we can worship you guys on this mountain. But there's none of that going to happen. Look what happens in verse 5. And he, while he was still speaking, when, a, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, anybody been hiking in the mountains? Anybody gone to like actual like really high mountains where you get above tree line? Okay. I've gone a few different times. Okay. I had a chance to go. I remember one day we were hiking up in Colorado right out of side of Silverton, um, Chicago Basin. We were kind of going through this area. And we got above tree line, right, which is about 10,600 feet Right, I know Chad's experienced this before, right, getting above tree line. And when a storm starts rolling in, you don't want to be above tree line. Because when that storm comes in, you are in the middle of the cloud. That means if there's lightning in the cloud, you're in the middle of the lightning, right? And so we're, on, we're up about 12,900 feet going over this pass, and this storm starts rolling in, and we just start running. You've got to get off that mountain below tree line, or else you're in the middle of the cloud. Who knows what's going to happen in there? Right, so they're on top of this high mountain, a cloud suddenly appears, and the cloud starts talking to them. Are you picturing this? I know it's a story in the Bible, but are you, are you there? Right? Put yourself in that mindset. You're on top of the mountain. You're just like, Jesus is shining, right? This is an incredible scene, and then, boom, this cloud begins to speak. And what does it speak? Is God speaking. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Woo. Has echoes of the baptism, doesn't it? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But he adds a tagline. What does he say? Listen to him. If we, if we were to take anything away from today and anything that you would take into 2024 is this, 
Let's listen to God. He says, listen to him. We know that this is a sign that Jesus is this prophet like Moses. In fact, if you look back at Deuteronomy 18.15, right, we've been reading this over and over again as we talk about it, but it literally tells them that this is the one that you will listen to. It's to him you shall listen to, right? This idea of are we listening to Jesus? How are we going to know what Jesus says unless we spend time with him? How are we going to know what he's telling us to do and how he wants us to live unless we spend time in his word? Reading through the word. In fact, out in the foyer, there's a, a chance to grab a guide, the read through the Bible in a year guide that's out there. There's, there's amazing, we have such technology today, don't we? Like you don't even have to read it. It'll read it to you. Your phone will read it to you. On your drive to work, when you wake up in the morning, sitting on the porch, looking at the sunrise, what better than to have the word of God circulating through your headphones, right? Man, we have so many opportunities today to immerse ourselves in the word and to actually listen to him. But why is it so scary for us to listen to him? Because he might tell us that, man, that job, it's a dark place, but guess what? God can light it up. I put you there for a purpose and for a reason, and you're in that job to be the light of Jesus to the people that are around you. Oh, that marriage, that, that thing your wife said to you or that thing that you said to your wife, whoo, you, you could light it up right now, or you could choose to love them like Christ loved the church. When you listen to the word, he's going to say, hey, forgive like I forgave you. Love them unconditionally. That's what he's going to say. Forgive them. Don't keep a record of wrong. That's not love. That's maybe even like, but not even love. See, do we want to listen to God and let those things permeate all of our life? Let's look at Peter. Let's, let, let's end with Peter. Go to 2 Peter with me if you don't mind. Right, Peter, who is in this experience on the mountain, he's reflecting on it in 2 Peter chapter 1, and he's thinking back to this time. Look at his description. I think it sums up everything we've been talking about really well. He says this in verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? We're not following a myth Believing in Jesus isn't some story that people made up. It's truth. And coming to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice that was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven, for we were with him on that holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy has ever been produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, that what we have in our hands is not some clever myth that people made up. There's been people have been carried along by the Holy Spirit to give us a revelation of who God is. So if God, when God speaks its truth, the question then is, are we going to listen to him? That's it. Are we going to listen? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'll help us listen. Lord, just as James encourages us, help us to be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to become angry, Lord, because anger does not produce the righteousness of God. So I pray, Lord, that you'll help us 
to put away our anger and put away our regret and put away our sorrow. And Lord, let us walk in true freedom. Lord, to live is Christ. So Lord, help us to listen to you. Help us to know you as only we can through your word. So thank you for the encouragement. Lord, thank you for showing your glory. Lord, we look forward to the return of your glory someday. So come, Lord Jesus, come. We're excited to see you return. Lord, until those days, may it be fruitful labor for us as we walk into a world that needs revival. So help us to listen to you. Start a fire in our heart and in our soul, Lord, that um, is a consuming fire. Lord, we pray all this in your name. Amen. Thank you, Chris. What a great opportunity we had to listen to him through the word. Thank you very much. This, this year is about ready to close, isn't it? We have a new year coming. We have, a, we have an opportunity to read through the passage, read through the scriptures. We have a plan back on the back table book over there by the path groups. Uh, one of the neat things that God's word says in 2 Timothy, it says that he gave us the word so that we can be equipped. Not just equipped, just in general, but for every good work. God gave us this book to communicate to us, for us to listen to him and to go and do what he says. So if, if you don't have a plan already, I encourage you to go back on that back table at the path group table and grab the plan. It's for the, you can do the whole Bible or you can just choose to do the New Testament. It's a five-day uh, plan. So five days a week, so you have a couple days off, or if you miss one, you can get right back in and plug back in and get to reading again, listening uh, to him. And also on that back table, there's some Night in Bethlehem t-shirts. Um, if you don't have one of those and you'd like to grab one, uh, please feel free as you grab a plan to read through the Bible. Also grab a t-shirt uh, for Night in Bethlehem. Speaking of path groups, uh, on the second, you have they go live on online, so you're able to uh, go in there. If you are not plugged into a path group, you have the opportunity right now to begin praying. You say, God, how how do you want me uh, to be involved, and where where do you want me to plug in? Because you have gifts, you have talents, you have abilities that uh, we that other people need. And they need to experience you as you love on them and encourage other people. But also, you also need that. We all need that. Um, so if you're not involved in Path Group, they go live on the 2nd. Um, so you can look online. And then Path Groups start on the 14th, the week of the 14th. We have, um, a couple weeks ago, we met uh, for the first time for our Honduras mission trip. Uh, there's a little bit, uh, almost 20 people going. And so for some of you, you're not going. For most of you, you're not. But we, one of the things that we have challenged our, our group to do is be praying. And on Sunday specifically, we are praying for the villages and the pastors that we will be serving and partnering with. So we want to invite you um, on Sunday mornings as you uh, get ready to leave your house or before you leave your house and you're praying for our church, I also invite you to pray for the villages in Honduras that our team will be serving in. So today, before uh, we close, we want to pray for Honduras and ask you to join in. Um, all of us can't go. Well, maybe, maybe we could all go, but we're not all going. So, but we can all what? We can pray together. So let's, do, let's go ahead and do that right now. Father, just thank you so much for what you're doing around the world. And thank you for choosing to 
involve us and allow us to partner with you in what you're doing. Lord, we pray specifically, even right now in Honduras and the different villages, that you would work through those pastors, Lord, that those bodies of uh, those local churches will listen to you and go and do what you said. And then, Lord, so that they would impact the rest of those villages, even villages near and far from them, but then also around the world. So, Lord, we just thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for a, a church and brothers and sisters in Christ that care about what you're doing around the world and will take the time to pray and involve themselves, Lord, because that's what you asked us to do. And we want to listen to you and obey you and make disciples of all people groups. So, Lord, we just... Uh, Pray for those in Honduras even right now that don't know you, or that even today they'll get to hear the truth of what your son has done for them through his death, for their sins, his burial, his resurrection. Lord, also if there's somebody here that says, hey, I, I, I want to listen to him, I want to obey him, but I, I can't. Lord, and they're right, they can't, but through your Holy Spirit and saving them and rescuing them, they can. So Lord, I just ask that both here and there, and around the world. Lord, you are busy about changing the lives of people. So, Lord, we thank you for the work you're doing. Thanks for allowing us to be a part of it. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Also, we have some 7th to 12th graders. 7th to 12th graders in here? Anybody? Oh, they're, they're, not, they're not pointing to themselves or cheering, but parents are pointing to them. Hey, this week is the start of, re of uh, Refuge again. Yes, and see, your youth pastor is excited, and we are excited. So this, this Wednesday night from 6.30 to 9, uh, be here and get ready to listen to what God has for you uh, this Wednesday. But the closing verse is from Psalm chapter 8. It says, Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. We get the opportunity to coronate Jesus as Lord of our lives this week. Have fun doing that. You're dismissed.